I believe once you start work for worker rights, you cannot stop. You just can't stop yourself. Because I need to protest. I need to have these workers back. That's Kalpona Actor, a former child worker turned worker organizer and the director of the Bangladesh Center for Worker Solidarity. My name is Judy Gearhart, and this is The Labor Link, a podcast about workers' rights and global supply chains, where we share the personal stories of the brave individuals organizing the workers who make our stuff. This podcast is a collaboration between the Accountability Research Center and Empathy Media Lab. To hear more podcasts about workers' rights, visit laborradionetwork.org. Bangladesh has built its economy on apparel exports. It's the world's second largest exporter of apparel after China, and the industry generates more than 80% of the country's export earnings, employing 4.5 million workers, most of them women. As much as a quarter of Bangladesh's population depends on the industry financially. Not surprisingly, Bangladesh's economy has taken huge hits during the COVID-19 pandemic, and many workers have been struggling to feed their children. In Bangladesh, there's no social insurance, and even the workers producing for rich export markets like Europe, the US, or Canada are earning subsistence wages. In our last podcast interview with Tola Moon from Cambodia, we talked about the Clean Clothes Campaign Pay Your Worker campaign. Kalpona and BCWS have an important role in this campaign also. The campaign is exposing how unreliable and unjust global supply chains are for workers around the world. It is always really good to see you, and I think your story is amazing. We really want to get you to give your analysis of what needs to happen in the apparel industry in Bangladesh. Sure. My name is Kortona Akhtar. I'm a former child worker. I started working in a factory in age of 12, and I did that because my dad was the primary earner in the family, and he got ill. And there is no one who can bring food in the table for seven in family. My mom took responsibility first, but she couldn't continue because she had infant at home. So she needed to take care of our baby sister. So it's me. And later, my 10 years old brother, who also joined with me, working in a factory and bring food in the table. So that's who I am. I'm a troublemaker. Because somebody needs to make a noise to make changes. So that's what I'm doing. And I emphasize that I had to be a child worker because my mom did not pay a living wage. So if she would be paid living wage in bank, then I could go to school. Of course, I'm happy that work I do. But I just wanted to say that the living wage is still an issue here in Bangladesh, in everywhere around the world, especially in the production country. And why did I founded BCWS? So when I was in factory, I worked without knowing law and rights. So when I, I came to know law and rights, it was kind of like second born for me. And I started organizing and it was not a favorite part of the manufacturers here, nor the government. They didn't like my work. So first they fired me and then they blacklisted me throughout the industry. So there was nowhere that I can get a job. So my life was a little tough. So then I joined with uh, a union called Big Off. So I worked with them as a labor educator, field organizer, union organizer, as well as served in their board. A few colleagues came together and we said, yeah, 
we need to start something new where we can help workers uh, who are also working in the government sector. I believe once you start work for worker rights, you cannot stop. You just can't stop yourself. They need to protest. I need to have these workers back. I got to know Kalpona during my time with the International Labor Rights Forum. We first met in December 2010, just months after she and her colleagues, Babul Akhtar and Aminul Islam, were released from a month in jail for worker organizing. A week later, 29 workers were killed in a fire at the That's It Sportswear factory, which had been supplying well-known American brands, including Target, Gap, and Kohl's. Following that fire, Kalpona and her colleagues, together with international allies, built a transnational campaign for worker compensation and a legally binding commitment from global apparel brands. A campaign that would grow exponentially after the horrific collapse of Rana Plaza in 2013, which killed more than 1,100 apparel workers, most of them young women. So it was Sheikh Najman, one of our co-workers, and Mabula Akhtar, and then me, three of us, along with many former workers and also current government workers who came together and founded this organization, the Center for Workers Solidarity, which is a labor educator NGO, but this is not like any other traditional NGO. It is very frontline labor rights organization. And one of the core programs that we run, we call Know Your Rights. Because if you don't know your rights, you will be not able to fight. Many development economists have argued that the apparel industry has been good for Bangladesh and that it gave many women a way to earn their own income. They argue it has been a path to women's empowerment for those reasons. I asked Kalpona to go back to her 12-year-old self and tell me how she felt then and if becoming the main breadwinner in her household felt empowering to her. If I go back to her, what she felt, she never felt that she was empowered. When you don't know what is your law, when you are not paid enough, when you are not respected, when you were slapped by your supervisor, when you stood up 16 to 18 hours in your seat working in the factory, when you need to use toilet card for using toilets, you, you cannot drink water in the factory. I mean, that's an inhuman uh, condition how you can even feel empowered. The only feeling I had that we're in a difficult situation in our family, and these are people who created jobs. And I just got a job in here, which is not respected, but I'm just earning a little money so I can help my family. That was my feeling. And this was the reason when I joined with the union, it says that my general work is eight hours. I supposed to not work like 18 hours in a row or 23 days in a row and sleeping in the factory floor. It, it did not say that I should be stood up in, in my feet. It says that my supervisor doesn't have any right to slap on my face. There should not be any, any abuse in the factory. How could you even feel empowered when you know that what the law says and how you are being treated, this is like two different worlds. This is a biggest industry. This is a women dance industry, which has created a job for women workers, but these jobs not create as a dignified jobs. So the women are not empowered. They are so hand to mouth working this industry 
which contributing 11% in our GDP and, you know, making like 80% of foreign currency for the country, the women yet not empowered. So for 30 years, you're advocating for garment workers' rights. What have you seen change? What have been the biggest successes of your advocacy? I have seen that the young women workers would not be that vocal in my time than they are today. They know they are worker and there is a law which is supposed to protect them. And there is a, something called code of conduct, which is supposed to comply in the factory. In fact, I should you know, treat them as a human, not like any other equipment. So I see that they're more step forwarding in compared to my time 10, 15 years ago. Previous, like we have to go to workers' houses or to the factory gate very frequently, pretty much like every day. That we don't need to do that much now. It is rather that comes to us. And what changes bring due to the advocacy that me and my coworkers has been done? Definitely area of safety. Our slogan is, we want our job with dignity. And that comes with a living with a safe workplace, a workplace that gender-based violence-free, and also union voice at work. So it's not necessary that we have achieved everything, but area of safety improvement has happened in last eight years due to the enormous work that a code on Bangladesh fire and building safety has been done. But now it's a big question in front of us. The brands are not signing the document. The initiative we have is called RSC, which is RMG Sustainable Council. And it is a voluntary scheme, not legally binding. So this area of safety has an improvement, but still it's a question of protecting that. I should note that since this interview, the Accord for Fire and Building Safety in Bangladesh, the first legally binding agreement between global brands and unions, which Kalpona talks about, was renewed. It is now referred to as the International Safety Accord, and there are plans to expand coverage to at least one more country. In Bangladesh, the Ready-Made Garment and Sustainability Council, or the RSC, was established to take over much of the Accord's inspection work, but it doesn't include the key elements of a binding agreement and a complaints resolution process, which have been so essential to the Accord's success. And in the other areas, we have seen very limited progress. In last two decades, the wage has been increased, but it's still not enough compared to the living cost. Minimum wage is $95 a month now, which is not enough for a worker full month cost while they're giving over 30% of that only for housing, which is not even a dream house. It's like 10 feet by 10 feet concrete, doesn't have window. The workers are still fighting a lot to sending their kids to the school because there is not enough money. They definitely wanted to send them to the school, but due to the low property wages, it is difficult. And the area of freedom of association, the country has a law on it, but if the workers aren't free to do that, every time workers try to organize, they're being trade and beat and forced to Even today, there is few dozens of outstanding charges out there. When workers raise their voyages, they have to face crandall. So we can call it union busting country. 
and the working environment is not healthy in terms of freedom association. And these factories have enormous gender-based violence, but no one there to agree with it, especially the manufacturers. Though they say that due to the brand's pressure, they have made few committees in their factory, but the workers doesn't know about those committees. And there is a high court in Bangladesh, which says that every workplaces should have a anti-harassment committee, but it's not enforced in the factories. And the ILO convention, the 190, which has just been adopted in 2019, but that has not been ratified by our country yet. Though our country has voted to have the convention, but yet we are fighting for that. So this is also a disadvantage for our women workers that while they have job in the factories, but they're facing so much generous violence and sexual harassment in the factory, in community and in the community. So I think it's a continuous process till we achieve what we're looking for. We, we just need to keep fighting for it. Kalpona's description of the four pillars of BCWS's advocacy, living wage, the rights to freedom of association and collective bargaining, factory safety, and an end to gender-based violence, embodied their holistic approach to advancing workers' rights. BCWS and others really helped make the case that gender-based violence needs to be addressed both inside and outside the factory walls, an approach now included in the International Labor Organization's Convention 190 on Violence and Harassment in the World of Work. Kalpona has also been a strong advocate for the Accord on Fire and Building Safety in Bangladesh, something we worked on together. So I had to ask for her perspectives and how she responds to critics who say the Accord doesn't cover enough issues or that it doesn't fully address the business model because brands still aren't paying higher prices. Those people who criticize him, I do have a question to them. What exactly do you achieve for working class in your lifetime? Criticizing is easy, but when you are in the moment, when you are fighting, you need to know what exactly you, you are talking about. So in time, when we are starting to have a code, it was a dire time in here. The Rana Plaza from the world, only the one incident that we have seen in the country. It is thousands more accidents we have seen, and each of them was preventable. Whatever law we have had, it wasn't enforced. So in that dire time, we have seen these brands for years, they're being making profit out of us workers, but they never take a responsibility that they should take. These brands should not be just watching that workers are dying in their producing factory, in their sourcing factory. So... We did not raise our voice in 2013. We did that in 2011. After one of the factory fire where two dozen workers died in that factory. And the workers jumped from ninth floor um, because the door was locked. So we started asking those brands who were sourcing from that particular factory where uh, 29 workers killed asking them to sign on these documents. And it wasn't easy to get all those brands to sign on. How many meetings I have been done? How many shareholder meetings I have been gone? How many directors of the brands I have chased them, even their own houses to get signed on that document? It was all about to make our workers' life safe. 
when they're producing clothes for these Western countries who are paid minimum and who are putting their life in a risk. If you have criticism on that, do around the safety. I will be more than happy to take that. If the consumers with us, we can extend the accord in other pillars too, like on the wages, on uh, gender-based violence issues, uh, on job security, we definitely can do. But for me as an activist working in the ground, I see there is a very limitation to criticize accord, especially in the area of safety. So the accord, we negotiated the key elements that we could after that's it sportswear. And I know that you started working on this probably in 2005 or before 2005, after the Electro factory collapsed. Right. And as much as BCWS is built on those four pillars and the comprehensive approach of workers' rights, when it came to sitting down and trying to change the responsibility of the brands, we saw an opportunity with the safety issue that was so clearly dire and needing to be addressed. But let's talk a little bit about the broader context now in Bangladesh with COVID and everything that's happening with the brands not fulfilling their orders. This epidemic is not for Bangladesh only and not only the production country, it is very real and practical for people around the world. But when we talk about the workers in the production country, the situation really different, the situation really dire. The consequences is different than a consumer country and a production country. When consumer thinking they cannot buy and the workers in production country they are thinking, I don't have food in my house because I lost my job. So it is totally different consequences. So what happens, we have seen the irresponsible response from the brand and manufacturers. Brands started either pulling out their business or responding them or denying to pay the bill or denying to pay the goods. And it is not one or two brands. It is hundreds of them. It was close to $4 billion. And due to that, the consequences was over 300,000 workers lost their jobs. And again, we are talking about young women workers, those who came with a dream in the city that this job will make difference in their life, but they went back to the ground zero in an empty hunt because none of them has been paid any severances. In some cases, they didn't get their wages for the month they worked. So this was the responsible response that we received from the brands and the manufacturers. Definitely the manufacturers are responsible to pay their workers as well, at least monthly wages, but some of them, they did not. The Bangladesh Garment Manufacturers and Exporters Association, the BGMEA, reported $4.9 billion in apparel revenue loss during the first four months of COVID-19, comparing 2020 to 2019. They also noted widespread unethical behavior from the global brands, with some refusing to pay or asking for unrealistic discounts. The government established a centralized fund to cover workers' wages between April and June 2020, and employers paid up to 25 days of wages for workers during the lockdown, even though they weren't working. 
It's important to note, however, that most workers depend on overtime earnings and production bonuses to make ends meet, so just receiving their base salary was still a problem for many. But even a dentist simulation package couldn't save workers' jobs. Many workers, especially the pregnant women workers, they lost jobs. Today, we do have orders and workers do have jobs, but the workers are extremely fear in this time to getting fired. They cannot afford to lose their jobs at this moment. Even if it's retaliation due to union activism, if they face gender-based violence in that factory, but they don't want to see that the children are starving at home. So they keep working in the factory. So there are so many problems they've been facing and that has made a wage gap. And how workers are handling that, they can't meal from their daily meal routine and that includes the children's food too. This is horrific. You are contributing in an industry for years. You made profit for these manufacturers and for these brands for years, but when you need them to hold your back, they're saying, sorry, we cannot do that. This is a malpractice of the business. This is a black side of the business. And this gives us a sense that the sourcing country, it is high time for them to have a due diligence law to companies uh, when they're doing business in the production country. And the workers in the production country should have access to the sourcing country code to hold these brands responsible. It is time. And now come to the responsibility of the government. When we are workers and a citizen of the country, it is the government responsibility to make us socially protected. And our government definitely failed to do that. And there is no social security for us as a citizen, and there is no social protection for our workers. There is no unemployment insurance for our workers. So just think about the workers, over 300,000 lost jobs from RMG industry. There are 100,000 lost jobs from other industries as well. How those workers are surviving now, you can't even believe. Many of them don't have one meal a day. That is their situation. So we are asking our governments to make a social protection for our workers. But in the same time, we are also asking the Global Severances Grantee Fund from the brands for this time. And we want the brands, the manufacturers and government to put money together in that fund. So workers are losing their job at this moment. They're not owing empty hand. They at least have some economic security with them. And for long run, we're definitely asking and campaigning and advocating in the country to have a social protection law or unemployment insurance law. So I'm trying to think about where you go from here in terms of the demands on the brands and the demands on the government. I know you have been very involved with international advocacy. I remember the year you went and spoke at the Walmart shareholder meeting, and it was the New York City Comptroller that gave you the votes to be able to go down on the floor at the Walmart shareholder meeting. What are you thinking about this balance between the international campaigning on the brands and needing the government to step up? The context of the accord is that that whole thing got launched a year after you were in jail for troublemaking. 
These are really difficult questions and I'm wondering what you're thinking about. So all this campaign that we started, it was right after we got out from prison and um, the court campaign was high up when I lost my co-worker, Aminul Islam, who brutally tortured and beaten to death because of his advocacy work for workers. So it's not easy for us to work in here. My job is doing it nationally and internationally as well. And for us, it is important to run both campaign and advocacy together because the government in here are strongly colluded with business. In our parliament, my legislator is my factory owner. And when you are in that situation, it's very minimum you can achieve. When you've got a pressure from international community, especially from the brands, like Clean Clothes Campaign, International Awards Forum, Workers Consortium, and also the Global Union, Mercula Solidarity Network, the Canadian Unions all together. We need to chase all these brands to do the right thing because if brands give you pressure, that make a huge consequences in here. Or when consumers raise their voices, asking the brands to make a changes, that make a positive consequences here in Bangladesh. So my advocacy and campaigning international platform, that's why it's important. And why I do so when I know it is a huge risk. You know, I'm blessed that I have worked with so many amazing co-workers here in our center, even when I was in the factory and international level, that includes you, Judy, too. Two things always inspires me. One, I was in the factory, I suffered, and I know how this feels. When you were working in the country, you know it is injustice, but you weren't asking for it, you don't get it. I can feel that frustration. I can feel the pain. So I just wanted to reduce the pain of that workers, what they're being facing even today. And the second one, when I was teenage, I, I went to my mom, I just started organizing and she's a community organizer. In the community, if any problem happens to anyone, they will come to her. So I saw how brave she is. So when I started organizing, seeing the infantry owners are so powerful, I went to my mom and I asked her then, mom, do you think I can do it? Because these people are so powerful. She said, if there is injustice, someone can always stand up and speak out. If it is someone, then why not you? What she said in that day, that inspires me every day. And I try to inspire my co-workers with that quote as well. Like, if it is someone, then why not us? Let's fight. Let's make change. But I know she worries about you. And I know you're still at risk. She does. I mean, she has double pride, but she has double fear too. Me and my brother, both are union organizers. So she fears for both of us. And... She's not fear when I'm traveling in internationally. She extremely fear when I am in the country because I cannot promise her that I will be safe back home when I leave home in the morning for office, for my centers. So life is that unpredictable in here. But what you can do when you want to make changes, 
you never cease to amaze me and inspire me. And I think you do for so many people. How can the international community be more helpful to the changes you need to see for workers? Everyone has it all. And then I believe the international community can play a huge role in order to making a positive difference of workers' lives in the bottom to the supply chain, especially in the production country like us. So consumers, they can play a big role. I would ask the consumers to raise their voices. Don't get afraid when you see a clothes that made in Bangladesh or anything that made in Bangladesh. When you know that workers are working with the property wages, almost no union voice, don't, don't feel guilt. I would say like rather than feeling guilty, you should feel anger and show this anger to the brands. Ask them more questions than your money that you are spending to buying this product need to use in a good cause. People need to be treated as a human. These workers, those are producing clothes or any other goods for you, they should be paid a living wage. They shouldn't be working in a safe workplace. They should be free to exercise their union voice. They shouldn't be socially protected. And there should not be any gender-based violence in those workplaces where they're working. In one word, you are asking for the workers to have a job with dignity. So a consumer can play a great role. So do the business people, a student, a teacher, a scholar, because we all are consuming something people producing for us that can be in your own country or that can be in production country that is a thousand smiley way. Be a consumer, but be a responsible consumer. For the people who are in the policy making, business treaty clauses are not fully enforced. So they should dig in all these issues and make sure that all those clauses really applies for the workers and is improving workers' lives. Ask your government to have a due diligence law because that will make accountable your companies. Those are sourcing goods from my country or any other countries. And that will make a difference too. And after all this, if you have a scope to financially support, then find the organization through them Fund us, we can educate more workers and our workers can stand up for themselves too. I want to thank you so much for your time and for all the work you do to just inspire and you just keep coming back in life with joy because the way you empower people is not just by fighting. It is also because you bring people this smile and this encouragement. Sure, sure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Labor Link. I hope you will share it with friends and colleagues and that Calpona's energy and determination inspires more people to get involved in the advocacy for social protection floors and the push for global brands to make a legally binding commitment to ensure workers' rights in their supply chains. To learn more about Kalpona's work and the Bangladesh Center for Worker Solidarity, go to bcwsbd.org. And to hear more episodes of The Labor Link, go to Empathy Media Lab 
com slash labor link. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.